Wow. I tell you every week how excited I am about the guests I have on this show. And I've had some amazing ones. I mean, the Dickie Smothers of the world, these are just crown jewels of entertainment and, and leading minds that are just boggling to deal with. And, and this is a man that I have from my heart loved and respected throughout his career. Um, he probably doesn't even have a clue how much of an influence he's had on me over my, my uh, career, but he is the real deal when it comes to authentic leadership. He is the real deal when it comes to servant leadership. He is responsible for the success of Starbucks. Howard Schultz gets a lot of credit, Oren Smith, and this also another Howard, Howard Bihar gets an inordinate amount of credit for what Starbucks is today. In fact, when Howard Bihar, my guest today, was at Starbucks, I think they had some 22 stores. Uh, and then by the time he left, they were somewhere in the 15,000 range. Um, I want to introduce him the way he deserves to be introduced. I want to introduce him in keeping with the way he started one of his books. Uh, the book Magic Cup, which we'll talk about both of his books over the show today. But Magic Cup starts with a Cherokee fable or legend that goes as follows. One evening, an old Cherokee told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside of people. And he said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. That's the evil wolf. And the other is good. It's joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. And the grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? And the old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. The man that you're about to meet has fed the good wolf. He is all joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, and benevolence. He is Howard Bihar. It is so good to see you, Howard. Thanks, Thanks for joining Joseph. me. All right, so uh, you getting the hang of leading yet? You know, how, how long have you been in leadership roles? Oh, since I was about 15. Yeah. And it's been an interesting and story journey. I have you uh, included in my new book, uh, Stronger Through Adversity. We'll talk about that later. But pretty much early on, you got it, right? That it was about the people? Yeah, it was, you know, I was raised in a family where it was always about the people. I had a dad that had a small mom and pop grocery store back when they had charge accounts. And the people who would shop with him weren't his customers, they were his friends and his neighbors. And so that's where it started with me. And then from there, uh, I remember the story, at least as you were coming up through the ranks as a leader and you got your first CEO gig and you got you got a pretty good comeuppance, didn't you? I mean, you didn't quite... Uh, you didn't quite get the gig you thought you had there. It was a little yeah. more, a uh, little more sour milk in the container, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was not CEO. It was president. First time I'd ever been president. It was a, a public company, and I never in my wildest dreams did I think I would get that opportunity. But I pitched for it because I don't have a college degree. But the company got was a little bit in trouble, and I pitched for it. I don't know what I was thinking, but it was you know an eighteen-hour-a-day job working with the Bank of Boston Workout Group and. And I learned a lot. I got I got my MBA without without getting my undergraduate. And I think you learned early on about culture, right? Because the culture you walked into was not a particularly transparent culture, mm -hmm. uh, and the lack of transparency set you off on the wrong foot a bit. Didn't yeah, it it didn't uh, the, the leadership didn't uh, 
share what was going on in the organization all the time. And, and when we got in trouble, it was a surprise to everybody. And of course, you know, I had to figure out what to do with that. And I made a few mistakes along the way and we ended up having to sell the business, but, but I did, I did learn a lot. And I look back at that time with actually a lot, a lot of joy and pleasure and uh, with a lot of personal growth. All right. So I'm, I'm popping up there on your right next to you, your books. Uh, it's not about the coffee and the magic cup. I want to make sure that people get to those and we'll, we'll tell them how they can find them on your website or on Amazon. But uh, let's let's go with it's not about the coffee. I think that there's 10 business principles and their leadership principles in there. I want to kind of take them one by one if we can. But what I love about this book and Howard used to say we're not in the coffee. The other Howard used yeah. to say we're not in the coffee business. Uh, you know, we're in the people business serving coffee. Right. Um, but he stole, you were, he stole that, you know. He plagiarized it, but that's all right. I'm telling you that you are so so. There is great genius in the three of you. So I always think of H2O, the two Howards and Oren. I hung out mostly with Oren, uh, and but you were the soul. So each of you had a different sort of strength. Like I, I think of Howard Schultz as having vision of the gods. Like I don't even know how the guy can see the future like he does. Uh, he must must have some special uh, special uh, arrangement. But beyond his visionary, there was Oren's ability to get it executed. And then you were the human. You were the soul of Starbucks. So um, is that a fair characterization or would you take exception? Yeah, to no, I mean, I think we, you know, we all had the strong uh, uh, culture orientation of what we wanted it to be. I had the personality and the drive for it. It was what I really wanted to do and what I wanted to focus on. And so I just drove that home. And yeah, you're right. Howard was without a question. Howard had big dreams. Warren and I, you know, we are we are kind of Western Washington guys. You know, the dreams weren't so big. We wanted to just love what we did. Howard wanted to be the king of New York, and so he drove it. And we, Warren and I, finally figured out this was bigger than we thought it was. And of course, we jumped on the train with Howard. Well, and you were involved in the domestic side of the business for like 21 years before there was really a movement toward the international. And then you became was it the president of yeah, international? Yeah, it was actually, I was, it was about 15 years. And then well, I pitched for the, uh, to do take Starbucks outside of North America. And I became the founding president of Starbucks International. And then there was growth across all these continents. Oh, and yeah. Incredible growth. I mean, it, it's amazing. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about the principles inside of, you know, it's not about the coffee uh, because it is the people that kept you on par. So what I love about this, every principle in here, you know, it's not, it's not all that uncommon for somebody to say to me, you know, I, I read that, uh, I, I read that Covey book and sharpen the saw or, you know, begin with the end in mind. I mean, there's just certain things that go yeah. into people's brains. Your principles always do that for me. So let's start with wear one hat. Now, the way I take on this is that we can lose ourselves into playing way too many hats and not do one thing super well and not know who we are and who we're not. Uh, give me your take on your business principle of wear one hat. Yeah. Well, we wake up in the morning and we look across the bed from ourselves. And if we say to ourselves, hey, we better put on our spouse hat, you better evaluate if you're living with the right person. If you walk <laughs> through the front door of Starbucks and you say, oh, I better put on my Starbucks hat, you better evaluate where you're working. And so the one hat is being who you are, no matter where you are, you know, acting with a set of values, whether you're at home or you're at work or no matter where you are. And that's who you are. It's, it's Howard, you know, or it's Joseph. And, and we are Joseph or Howard, no matter where we are. 
and there's no gap. Is there is there kind of a moderation of the extremes though, Howard? I mean, I may be a little more casual with you, but still genuine to my values. And then in a more formal setting, I might be different. Is that? But that but that's that's the that's the difference between you know getting a, a quart of ice cream and getting into it with one of those big spoons and shoving it down at home or at a dinner party, taking a nice teaspoon, eating it. You're still you. You still love ice cream. You're still eating ice cream but you're just a, maybe a little more refined. Yeah, sure. I go to a football game and I'm yelling and screaming and I'm rooting and I'm mad when they don't win the game or they don't score, you know, whatever it happens to be, but but I'm still Howard. And you're still passionate, I'm still right? Passionate. You're passionate yeah. within yeah. different yeah. regulators. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's take the next one on. This title is a long one, so it's the letters are pretty small there. Uh, do it because it's, a, it's right, not because it's right for your resume. Like, do you that's do people a, really make decisions based on uh, how it's going to play on the resume? It's it's incredible how many people do that. They're always. I remember, you know, when I was in the work world every day. Even today, I get it from young people. You know, is this going to look good on my resume? I and I always ask the question back: back Is it the right thing for you? Hmm. Not is it the right thing for your resume? Because people are hiring you; they're not hiring your resume. You know, you know it's interesting when I make that decision about is it right for me, um, I've come to learn, you know, does it leverage the talents and gifts I have? Yeah. Is it fitting with my soul and my values? Right. Uh, but it's also a little bit about of all the things I could do, is this the one that makes the most sense as I move forward? Does this feed your purpose, your greater purpose in life, you know? And that's really what we're talking about here is, is it really, is it, yeah because you're focusing on your greater purpose, does it release all the passions within you? All right, my, the next one is my favorite of all, I swear, this is so cool. Though I have lots of favorites of yours, so this is a little hard for me, but I think this is your favorite. This is my favorite until the next one, okay? Yeah. Uh, for now, the person who sweeps the floor should choose the broom. Yeah. All right, I mean, intuitively it makes sense, right? But. Yeah dive for me. Okay. So you go out and you hire great people and you spend a lot of money and you recruit them and you bring them into your organization. And then you give them the handbook and the handbook says, don't do any of these things under threat of death. You know? <laughs> and, but the point is you hire these people, give them room to grow, give them room to make mistakes and let them, let them make decisions in their area of their expertise. You don't have to make every decision for everybody. Yeah. But, 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 right. Like, I mean, as leaders, we intuitively think that's the right thing to do. But when it comes right down to it, yeah, right, like we, we're, right afraid. Down to it. we're afraid we don't want to be embarrassed. You know, we don't want somebody to make a mistake and then we think it'll show badly on us. But it's not how things work in this world. You know, it's it's we hire people. And if they make a mistake, you stand in front of the gun when take the bullet and then you go back and you coach. But, you know, a person who sweeps the floor, probably the greatest single example is the birth of Frappuccino at Starbucks, Dina Campion. She was the one that basically drove Frappuccino. I was the one that enabled it because I took the risk away from her. I was in front making sure that I would take all the bullets if there were any to be taken. And it, her, she, her broom was Frappuccino. She was in, she, her goals were to increase the business, to serve her people, and to serve those human beings we call customers. And she had this idea for Frappuccino and I just helped it along, you know, but she was the one that drove me to do it. And so her broom was Frappuccino turned into a $4 billion broom. I, uh, I met her when I was doing the yeah. Starbucks experience. 
Um, and I'm not sure if I have the full story to this day. So there's rumor that somehow she brought a blender in from home, that it wasn't an R&D project. It was right. organic. And, you know, because you, you can spend it. I mean, I know how much money Howard uh, Schultz spent trying to get, you know, blonde, uh, yeah, you know, right. that blonde roast. Yeah. But this supposedly, at least according to the lore, yeah. was very organic. Now, tell That's me the exactly backstory. how it was. It was, she, it was Dina, a store manager and a barista that created it. And they they invited me down and and uh, and they Santa Monica was the they Galleria Santa it. Monica like it. They invited me down and I took the idea back to Seattle and there was no support for it. And then she invited me down again and she made some beverages for me to taste. And I had to say, OK, go ahead, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> and that's basically what it was. We snuck it in and we put it in her stores. No signage. Her baristas could tell. And it turned out to be a blowout success. So we brought it back to Seattle. And we had a blow up with the guy that was the head of marketing. But Howard gave me the permission to try it for 90 days. And, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, I, I used to quote what percentage of overall sales uh, was coming from Frappuccino. And I used to quote how you would have never gotten international, you know, market penetration in yeah. the Ecuador, you know, in the equator um, had it not been for Frappuccino. So yeah, it was 20% uh, of sales at one time. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy. All right. So that so far, that still is my favorite principle, but it could be. It could be dethroned by this one. Care like you really mean it. You know, this is this is so funny to me that we almost have to tell people that care. Like even if you have to fake it until you make it, yeah. Just try it out, see how it works. But I'd love yeah, to hear well, your care is means you care like you really mean it means you're gonna give something of yourself. You're gonna do more than you think is wise. You're gonna you're gonna help people more than maybe you have time for you're going to go the extra mile you're going to you're going to care when it costs you because that's only when care is like you really mean it it has to cost you something you know time resources whatever it is you know that's caring like you really mean it every executive says i care about my people i've never heard anybody that didn't say that but they don't really do it you know I often say, I often say, you know, we all we all have super satisfied customers, right? We all have a great sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, we have beautiful children. Yes. But we kind of almost need somebody else to validate some of that once in a while, yeah. right? And so, unless your people think you care, yeah, I don't care how much you say you do. Yeah, they know when you don't. Yeah. Well, they know that you did, Howard, and and I think I know that you did. You have consistently throughout my career, whenever I've had to turn to you, you've made time, even though. It, it was an inconvenience, I'm sure. And I think that that willingness to nurture people, particularly if you believe in them, I think, you know, every person is worthy of dignity, but some people really demonstrate to you that every bit you pour into them comes back times 10, right? Yeah, it's true. That's exactly it. So that's what I always try to do. You know, I try to go above and beyond. It, it wasn't above and beyond for me. It was who I was. I just said, if somebody is willing to call me to dial up a call, send me an email. They're going to get an answer. I don't care who they are. And we still do that in our team. And it's interesting because the world's so busy that it's almost like shocking. It's almost like getting a handwritten note from somebody, yeah, right? I mean, right. you don't really think that happens anymore. Yeah, but it yeah. does. Yeah. All right, let's go to this one. The yeah. walls talk. I can hear them. The voices, they're yeah. getting to me, Howard. You're going to think I'm nuts now, Yeah. right? Right. So this came from a guy. I, I grew up in the home furnishings industry, and I – first time I ever really managed a store, I was about 22 years old. 
working in Salem, Oregon, a guy named Sid Checkman. And he used to tell me, Howard, after the store closes, lock the doors and I want you to go sit in the middle of the showroom and I want you to close your eyes and I want you to just listen. And I thought, Sid, you're crazy. But I started doing that. And believe it or not, one night I'm sitting in the store and I could feel something was wrong. I didn't know what it was. Something was up, but the energy wasn't right. You know, and the next morning I came into the, into the store and I called a staff meeting with everybody, all the salespeople and all the delivery drivers and everything. And I, and I just asked the question, how we're doing? How are we doing? And man, the gate of water, everything just flowed through. Of everything they weren't happy about, something I was doing, something Sid was doing or whatever it happened to be. And, you know, I, I wasn't feeling it until that night when I sat in the showroom. And then, so then I used to, he, he used to challenge me. He said, whenever you're going to somebody's house, okay, they'll say, would you like a glass of water? Say yes. And then they'll go get it. And when you're sitting in the living room, close your eyes again. You can feel what's going on in this house. You can feel the emotions of the house. It, it's an incredible experience. I can do it in the stores. I used to be able to walk into a store, right? And you didn't have to tell me anything. I didn't have to know any numbers. I didn't have to see anything. I could tell how healthy this store was. All right, I gotta, I gotta interrupt you. I gotta interrupt you because the walls are talking right now. Yeah. And I'm picking up their vibe from LinkedIn in the yeah. comment section. See how I'm doing that? Yeah. Uh, Aaron Mallory Colt says, "You are an amazing leader, Howard. Role model for all. Thanks for this, Joseph." Well, it's easy for me. I mean, Howard's the one. See, they're calling him right now. We, we No sooner we tell people to call and they're calling him. All right. So people are out there uh, paying attention and uh, we are ever so grateful for that. Let me, let me tell you where I go with this Walls Talk thing because it's a little mystical for me. You know, I'm going to be honest, but I do know that all of us have this intuition and we have a felt sense of right. things and just being quiet to process right. what you're experiencing and opens that channel up to you. Yeah, it's, it's not your ears. It's those antenna we all have in our head that we ignore. Yeah, they're there. You just have to use them, right? And, and you have to be quiet for a yeah, second. You gotta be quiet. You have to quiet your brain and you know and you gotta you gotta listen with your with your whole self. All right, I'm gonna jump ahead on, on your list. I'm gonna jump ahead because since we're talking quiet I might as well go to your quietish sounding principle, right? The big noise and the still small voice. This to me always carries this image of the leader who is all right, knows it all, is loud, kicks indoors. We don't have no role models of that at all uh, in our country or in our world today. So it's hard to conjure up the image, but you know, imagine that was the case versus a smaller, evolving, growing kind of personality of leadership. Do you want to talk a little bit about this? This is Greenleaf stuff, I think. Yeah, it's Greenleaf stuff. But uh, I had uh, a guy that reported to me when we started Starbucks International. His name was Jin Long Wang. And he was he was from China, mainland China. And so when we started to do, we were basically doing joint venture partnerships around, uh, started in Asia first. And you know, I had to learn. I had never done anything like it. And I've kind of got this big personality, outgoing personality. And, and, and he gave me this little quote and it said, big noise on stairs, nothing coming down, you know, and I just laughed, you know, and we had a great conversation about it. And what he was trying to say to me, look, don't use the, you don't need, don't use the big voice in Asia. It doesn't work. Use the smaller voice. Use, use the quieter tone. 
And that's the same, you know, in the rest of the world and the rest of my business dealings. I learned to use my smaller voice and and because I didn't I didn't always need to be heard. You know, most of the time I didn't at all. I needed to listen more. And so that's, you know, particularly in Asia, you know, you don't just in America, you know, I come meet you. We're immediate friends. We're already going out to dinner. That's not the way it works in Asia Pacific. Right. It takes a while to build a relationship and you have to use your small voice when you're doing that. Yeah, that's interesting because I think people would have. I just look at you, you know, you're very upfront about the fact that you didn't have a college degree and yet you become, you know, this massive leader of Starbucks and and you don't have to have this big voice and this loud voice. Lots of people have insecurities, Howard, and they overcome them by being loud and brash and bold. How did you not just like try to say, well, I may not have had a college degree, but I'm, I know what I'm talking about. So listen, bam. Yeah. Well, I had all those insecurities. I mean, for the longest time, every time we'd hire a Harvard MBA, you know, I was, I knew they were just a hell of a lot smarter than me until I got old enough to realize, no, that's not really how it was. And, and, you know, slowly but surely I gained confidence in myself about what I could do and, and what value that I, I added in an organization and I started to just focus on that and said, I can't be everything to an organization. I can be certain things. And I, my, my pathway was really focusing on, on servant leadership and the idea that I was here to serve the people working in the organization. If I did that well enough, they would serve the organization without me saying a word. You know, I didn't have this ready to go. I'm, I'm so ashamed. I should have been much more ready to hit this button, but here it is. Um, you hopefully can see it too. This is right off of your website, but once you brought servant leadership into discussion, it's just basically some research that was done by, by uh, Sipe and Frick in their seven pillars of servant leadership. And it, it shows the monetization of what happens if you're a servant leader. Oh, I got to pull off the, the uh, banner or else it's going to get in the way of the final, the final story here. But the bottom line is that, you know, public companies do fairly well in terms of their returns before taxes. Uh, and the good to great companies uh, that we've all read about, they, yeah. they do a little better. But if you really want to knock it out of the park in terms of your profitability, you really do double down on servant leadership, as did Starbucks under your watch and Southwest and Marriott and others. Uh, I'm going to pull that slide off so that we're not looking at that. And I'd really rather look at your face and have you tell me a little bit about you know what that ultimately uh, means for you. Well, it, you know, we led Starbucks that way. I mean, you know, as you know, because you wrote the book about it, but that's what drove Starbucks. And it, it servant leadership is, you know, it, it's at its simplest terms is this. I serve others before I serve myself. And, and that's what, that's how I always felt. And that's how we tried to do it at Starbucks. Didn't mean we didn't hold people accountable for performance. We held ourselves accountable for performance. And servant leadership, everybody kind of thinks, well, servant leadership, it's a soft, gentle, mushy kind of, it's not that at all. You know, it is about performance, but but it's not about performance on the backs of people. It's about performance with people. And it's this understanding that if we serve our people well enough, we help them grow as human beings. We help them become better uh, leaders, better, better uh, partners at Starbucks better contributors to the communities in which they live, then they will provide that back because they want to. You'll never have to tell them because 
because they know and we've set the example and that's how it is. You know, I, I always laugh about these sales training programs and, or customer service training programs that most companies have. And, and then they, so they put all their people through this and then they're abusive to their people and they think that their people understand, intrinsically understand what good service is. No, they don't. Yeah, they've never they've been, been abused. And they think that's service, you know? Yeah, they've never been served by their no, leader. They've never been served, yeah. They're exactly. just being asked to serve. Yeah, uh, right. You know, it, it really brings in a comment that was just shared with us from Nicole Cable, who's an incredible customer experience consultant in healthcare and actually works as a, you know, inside of healthcare. And she says servant leadership is so critical to the customer experience, but more importantly, to the employee experience. Exactly. Mostly to the employee experience. When it's right with the people that are working in the organization, it'll transfer right away to, to the people you're serving, those human beings we call customers. Yes. And, and that gets to, okay, so did I say I already had my favorite of your business principles? Because I may be wrong. Okay. Maybe this is it. Yeah. Maybe this is the one. It's This one, at least, I may have been most guilty of stealing. Okay, I'll admit it to you right now. I often say that it doesn't matter whether you call them customers or employees, they're people, right? Like that's, that's right. my group of it. And I think that's a, a variation of your theme. So yeah. riff on it all you want. Yeah, that is what it's about. I try to get everybody to not think of people as customers because when you think of customers, you think about they've got a dollar bill pasted to their forehead. And if you just say or do the right thing, you're going to get that dollar bill. And my belief is if you take care of him, people, human beings, uh, uh, with the idea that you don't, you don't aren't looking to get their dollar bill. You're just looking to help them have a better life, a better day, whatever it happens to be, then they're going to want to do it. And so it's looking at customers, not as customers, but as human beings, looking at your, the people that are working in the organization, employees, or like Starbucks call them partners, they're human beings. That means they're imperfect. They're going to make mistakes. Something's going to happen. Uh, a customer's going to come in not be happy that day or had a traffic ticket and they don't know how they're going to pay for it. Or And it's up to us to to give them a human experience to show that we care. And you got to do that without asking what's wrong with you today. You got to do that by just using your antenna and by listening about what not be, what's not being said. And uh, but there are CFOs of the world, and I'm really casting a very bad yeah. rap on CFOs. They are people too, right? Yeah. Uh, but there are those people out there who have a CFO-ish mindset yeah. that's very dollar-oriented. And they would look at Howard Bihar at Starbucks, and they would say, Howard, how do we pay for all of this humanity? Right? Yeah. We need yeah. customers yeah. to make the cash register go ring, ring, ring. Yeah. Stop with all this mushy human talk. Yeah, right. Well, it's, it's, see, that's, you're, you're saying as it's an, uh, uh, an or thing, you know, profitable or human service, profitable or servant leadership. It's, it's and, right? It's, there's no inherent conflict between serving your people well and making a lot of money as, you know, or, or whatever your, you know, whatever your currency is, or, or you know, there's not, no conflict. It's all, that's all in our heads. That doesn't exist except in your in it's in the fear of your brain. Fear of you know what brain, I love about it is it, I wish more people could understand and instead of or yeah. about most things in life. Yeah. Could we open safely? Uh, you know, is that's an and right? Like we can be yeah. safe and we can open or but we get into all these sort of 
dichotomies and false choices in yeah. so many things in business. But the one that I love that you always champion is let's treat people like people and the profits will come. It's yeah. not a matter of we have to think of one or the other. No, that's right. That's the way it is. And, it, you know, it, it doesn't mean you don't have goals. It doesn't mean you're not accountable to things. But but it's it's how you do those things, you know. All right, let's uh, let's see. We got two more of your principles here. Say yes, the most powerful word in the world. Um, and and I have my own variations on this, largely because I've also had the great fortune of, of Ritz Carlton, where they say the answer is yes. Now, what is the question? Yeah, right? right. So let's take your version of it first. So you know, it it how it got started was I was trying to convince the uh, all the people in the organization, the baristas in the organization, because they were all young people coming in. You know, and if you think about it, we grow up, we're, we're born and we, we're 11 months old, we start to crawl. And out in the middle of the living room is this big living, a big coffee table. In the middle of the coffee table is this beautiful crystal vase with some really bright colored flowers. And man, we're looking at that and we're saying, you know, in our brains, how do I get there? And we start to crawl on our hands and knees and we get up there and we, we finally get to the, to the, to the coffee table, we put our little hands up and we pull ourselves up and we go to reach for that vase with the flowers because it's so beautiful. And then from somewhere out in the other room, we hear this, no, don't touch that, right? And that's the beginning of ourselves thinking that no is the most powerful word because somebody said no to us. We go to school and the teacher says, no, you can't do that or no, you're not good enough. We go to work and the boss says, you know, no, you really can't have that promotion or, or no, I don't want you to do that or Dina. Uh, you can't, we're not going to do Frappuccino or whatever it happens to be. And so we think that no is the most powerful word. So we get our first job at 18 years old and we come to work for Starbucks. And so, yay, God, I finally, I've grown up. I am working for a great company like Starbucks. Now I can finally say no to somebody. So a customer comes in and says, hey, I'd like to have a, a glass of iced tea. And, uh, and at that time we didn't sell iced tea. And, but we had uh, basically a, a beverage that we made with iced tea and lemonade. I forget what we called it. It wasn't Arnold Palmer. It was something else that we called it. And the person says, I'm sorry, we don't have any iced tea. Right? The person says, we don't have any iced tea. Got to exercise that word no. When all they had to do was think about, hey, if I just leave the lemon out of that, I have iced tea. Yeah. And I think that's for me yes. I've come to learn over and over again. I just need to tell people what I can do for them yeah. instead of telling them what I can't. Uh, and it's really, you know, frequently I'll have somebody ask me for something. I'll say, you know, somebody asked me for the new book on Thanksgiving. Well, it's not going to be released until December 2nd. Yeah. So what I said to them is on Thanksgiving, I could send a personalized note to the people you wanted to send the book to yeah. with bookmarks in it. Yeah. And then the book will arrive on December 2nd. Will that yeah. work for you? And of course they say yes. Whereas I could say, no, sorry, it doesn't publish until December 2nd. There's nothing I can do to create value for you. Yeah, that's what but, can I do? For people like you, it's always been a matter of, well, what's the yes, Joseph? What's the yes? Yeah. And that's what we try to do at Starbucks. What's the yes? And that's, you know, you go to a Starbucks store, you know, you want, you want uh, two inches of hot milk on the top. You want two inches of medium temperature milk in the middle and you want cold milk at the bottom. Yes, we can do that. And that's what made one of the things that made Starbucks successful. Nobody else even thought about doing that. You know, uh, so you get it, you know, you really got it your way. 
Yeah, you get it your way. It, it, there's always the issue of adding complexity, Howard. I mean, that's yeah, the issue is how do we manage it? You know, uh, when I first started at Starbucks, we had three flavors and we had two milks, right? And we started to put those things in the store. That's where yes, kind of part of where yes came from. And, oh, man, we can't do that. We can't handle another milk. We can't handle another flavor. And I said, how could we do it? If we needed to do it, how would you do it? And finally, some people in the organization figured it out. We gave, I said, you try it. Show me how to do it because I don't know. And they figured Look, out. You're, you're resonating. Sergio Frias says that he couldn't agree with you more. Like this, this willingness to say yes, to find the sweet spot of what is doable and the power of the yes is a, is a differentiator. Like it, yeah. it differentiates brands that, that have taught their people that they have to ask permission to say yes. Yeah. And it's probably not going to be yes because that's not the way we do things here. But we're into innovation, by the way. Yeah. One, one time I walked into a store here in Palm Springs where I live this time of year. And on the front counter was this handwritten note. Uh, we don't take uh, anything larger than a $20 bill. And, and I, I looked at that and, you know, and I went to the manager, I said, what, why don't you take anything bigger than a $20 bill? If I come in with a 50 and I want to buy 10 drinks or whatever, or five drinks for people and you got to give me change. He said, well, there's around town, there's been people passing fake hundred dollar bills. I said, have you gotten one? He said, no, but, but I've just heard about it. I said, you know, there's a solution to this. If you call the support center, they have this little machine that can tell you whether the bill is good or not. They'll have it here for you tomorrow. Just give them a call today and they'll get it for you. But that's, you know, but our first inclination is no. Yeah. I, I'm, and it's fear. I love the word fear. I think fear is what it, it, it's yeah. all about. So, you know, the parent says no, because the fear is you're going to break the, yeah, you know, glass. The, the glass vase, uh, hurt yourself, uh, take yeah, right. you know some property value. Uh, bottom line, it really is a different mindset. Uh, you know, I often say that I used to say that, very few people have the power to say yes, meaning that, yeah. you know, I can't say yes to a Maserati, Howard. I just no. can't. Uh, I'd love to be able to, but I can say no. I have the power to say no. Yeah. The real power would be if I could say yes, right? Yeah. I, I wouldn't say yes to a Maserati. But yeah, it's a, it's a values. That's a values yeah. decision, not, yeah. it, you know, more than it is anything else. Yeah. Let me go with the, let me go with the last of your principles. And I saved it for last because it happens to be one that we tell about in the upcoming book um, and that I've written, the, the Stronger Through Adversity, for which you are a, a featured guest. Um, and you share about only the truth sounds like the truth. And in the crisis, I think people were inclined to want to fill in the gaps for people like, hey, it's not bad. It's going to be OK. Trust me. We're fine. And then layoffs happen the next day on a Zoom call. Um, so. This principle, if you want to talk a little bit about it, I'd love for you to embellish on it. We have much, much more about it uh, in the upcoming book, uh, Stronger Through Adversity. Yeah. Well, I told you where it came from. It. I was forced when I had that first presence job, I, somebody made a mistake and left a, a, a plan on, a, on a, a copier. This was in the early days before computers, really. It was IBM Selectrix. And all of a sudden, everybody knew that we were probably going to have layoffs. And I called the team, uh, my team together, and pretty much the whole team said, well, just deny it. Just say that we're not really going to do that. And my administrative assistant just tapped me on the shoulder. Her name was Lori Christmas. I'll never forget her name. And this was over 30 years ago, almost 40 years ago, actually. And 
she said, Howard, only the truth sounds like the truth. And, you know, and I just looked there and said, Laura, you're right. And I called a meeting with the whole team on Monday morning. And, and this was about over a thousand people. And I told them what was going on, that the company was in trouble and we were going to have some layoffs and that I didn't know when, it, what, who was going to get laid up, but I promise everybody will know by Friday. And one person stood up in the room and said, Howard, thank you for telling us the truth. And I will support you in whatever you need, if, even if I'm one of the people that are going to get laid up. One by one, everybody stood up and started to applaud. And that's what happened. We had a bunch of laughs. And, you know, I still get people to this day that I knew from that come to me and say, you know, that was one of that company, even though we had problems and we had to go through those layoffs, it was one of the best experiences in my life. You know? So this story is told in full detail. I'm yeah. sorry to cover you up for a minute there, Howard, but right. uh, told in full detail in Stronger Through Adversity, including the fact that Howard still has a sign somewhere in his house that says only the truth sounds like the truth. Now, let me make sure I put your book up now that I can cover me up uh, yeah. in due fairness. The two books, uh, it's not about the coffee. All right. They're about seven. I think at one point in time, someone uh, wrote that the Starbucks story has now been starbooked. It has been uh, told by so many books that yeah. everybody knows about it. I'm responsible for two of them. Howard Schultz is responsible for two of them. Uh, I would say that the magic cup isn't exactly about Starbucks. No. The values are definitely in keeping in that parable story, yeah. but for sure it's not about the coffee is about it. And I will tell you that of all of those books, I just listed the best book about Starbucks. I'll sad to say is this one right here. Uh, Howard Bihar's book. It's just, I think it's such a soulful book. I, I will always use that with you. And then Magic Cup, if you haven't seen it, it's, it is a parable book that kind of takes a, a magical set of twists and turns to envelop you in the importance of values uh, as told by a, a cup. Or not told by a cup, but the cup is kind of the, the metaphoric power yeah. uh, source. So anyway, um, both books are available uh, at Howard's website and on Amazon. But I want to make sure that people know what they can get because we're having this lovely chat, but you're available for people. I'm always available. Here's my email address. It's hb at howardbihar.com. And my cell phone number is 206-972-7776. I'm getting old, so I'm a little slow, but I promise you, if you write me or call me, I will get back to you. All right, I'm a little old fashioned. I'm just going to make sure they have your your email, your uh, website address because they can find how to get a hold of you via that. Um, yes, and so let's you. make sure they go there. What they can get besides just this incredibly generous soul who's kind enough to share all this information with you is is a person who can do a virtual presentation for you right now. If you have a sales team, you have new leaders, you need somebody to kind of inspire them, share wisdom born of hardship and success. You've had a little adversity along that, yeah. that journey, a couple of bumps. Um, if you just want him to be able to share his insights, you can get him available uh, virtually now, right? You're not traveling. Absolutely. Much. I'm not traveling right now, but virtually I've done, done a lot. Good. So uh, I want to make sure that people really see you as a resource they can reach out to via via the vis -a -vis the website and they can get your rest of your contact information. I'm not going to put that in the show notes. All right. So just a few minutes left. And I'd like to do a rapid round. Rapid's going to be hard for you and I, Howard. We're kind of we're yeah. kind of like thoughtful people, uh, yeah. which I guess I skipped that one principle anyway, didn't I? The, the whole thought and action principle. Think like a person of action. Act like a person of thought. 
Well, that's the wrong one. Hold on. I thought I had the right one ready because it was the long one. There we go. Think like a person of action, act like a person of thought. So let's do that real quick. And then I'll jump into the rapid round. What is it? What do you mean by this bottom well, line? One of the most difficult things that I had to learn as I was growing into leadership positions was the conflict here is this, this thing that, uh, when do you, when do you take an action and when, when do you just, when do you continue to think about it? And I came, I've come to the conclusion that if you're going to make a mistake, do it in action, not in thought. Proceed forward. But 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 it's it's the conflict between these two that makes things work, and it's pushing ourselves uh, to always be thoughtful, but to make sure that we don't stay in thought and never take an action. And I, somebody gave this to me one time. God, this is 50 years ago. And I've never let it go. And it's always been a challenging one for me is when do I act? When do I spend more time thinking? And it's, you know, it's an interesting quote. I, it's one of my favorites. Oh, I love it too. And and uh, Vasca, who I know to be an entrepreneur who has to think about where next, you know, where do I go next in my opportunity space? That, that has to resonate with her. But thank you, uh Bosca. Bosca, what country are you in right now? I always get this wrong, but uh, just try to give you a sense that we are international here today. Uh, I know that we're, she's representing a country outside of the U.S., so hopefully she'll weigh in. Uh, I want to say she's Danish. I always get this wrong. Anyway, um, but we, we're blessed to have all kinds of people joining us. All right, let me go to the rapid round. Howard, anything goes here. We're not going to have long answers, so okay, my best to you. Uh, here we go. Lynn. L-Y-N-N. -N. Does that name sound familiar to yeah, you? Yeah, my wife, most incredible woman ever, oncology social worker. And her whole thing is living in the present so she can serve the people that have cancer in the present. Wow. Living in the present so she can serve people who have cancer in the present. Okay. All right. That's a cool wrap it around. All right. Boating. Boating was my one of my favorite hobbies until... I had a stroke and decided, hey, boating's enough, so I got a house on the water. But I still have friends with boats, so I still get to go out. All right, so you brought up the stroke. I'll go with it. Stroke, what does that mean to you? That was uh, the, probably one of the scariest things that ever happened to me, and I got really lucky. I had somebody that really cared about me and got me to the hospital within an hour of the stroke, and I got that shot that saved my butt. And instead of being paralyzed on my whole left side, I, I have just a little bit of a drooping and a little bit of, um, you know, numbness. But but other than that, I survived it big time. And I'm here still. Five grandchildren. Is that the right count? Yes, yeah, six, actually. Six. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah. Six grandchildren. Six grandchildren. Uh, the joy of my life. Much better than having children. If you could only go to grandchildren first. And their first one's headed off to college. And it is so exciting to see them grow up. And, and you know. I, I love being their grandpa and I love, you know, they're my mentors. They have taught me more about life than just about anybody. And it, it is so much fun to see them grow now. All right. So I hope your kids don't hear this, by the way. I just want to say, I mean, you love, you, know, you yeah, want I love my kids, but that's right. They know how I feel. <laughs> All right. So let me ask kind of those weird, awkward questions, like a, a mistake you made beyond, you know, uh, taking maybe jobs that that were a little bit misguided at points. But the mistake you made, and you look back in your life, you go, I'd like to have a do-over on it. I wish I could do it differently. It took me forever to, to uh, come to grips with who Howard was. 
I wish that I would worked on my values when I was 10, 11, 12 to begin that process that early. I was probably absorbing some things and it. And because of that, it took me a long time to gain the confidence that I needed to, to do the things that I wanted to do. And I was more capable than I gave myself credit for. And it took me too long to find myself. And so I would encourage everybody to start early. If you got kids that are 15, you know, help them, work on it with them. How do you do that, Howard? I mean, this is not turning out to be a rapid round. You're kind of screwing up my plan. Sorry, buddy. But uh, since you, if you land on something and I got to dig deeper, I got to dig deeper, right? Yeah. So how do you do it? How do you? You have to start having the conversations. And the question is, hey, Scott, that's my son. I said, what matters to you? What do you love to do? What don't you like to do? You know, and, and I would talk about what human values were. I had this list of 300 words that represented human values. I said, which of these do you like? Which of these ones do you think might fit you? And so it's just beginning the conversation. And then you ask the once they say, well, honesty is important to me. And I'd say, okay, what does honesty mean to you? How, how does honesty gonna inform a decision or action you might make in your life? When do you think that you might tell a lie mm. and why? And it's just beginning the conversation. That's all yeah, you, you know, it's interesting that in the new book, I, ca I call it a conversation with 140 leaders. And I encourage people at the very end to keep the conversation going that whatever they might, whatever nuggets they pull out of this book, if yeah. there are any, they're all the results of people like yeah. you, right. that they should keep it going with conversations yeah. with their people. So yeah. anyway, I'm, I'm all into it. Boskus from the Netherlands just to do business here. Sergio loves your uh, think like a person of action and act like a person of thought. My last and final, final question in what has turned out to be the slowest lightning round I've ever done. <laughs> is first off, I want to let you know, I think of you as a, as a national treasure. You're probably an international treasure. I just claim you as a U.S. Yeah, wow. uh, person. Uh, you're a national treasure. So what do you want to be your legacy? What do you hope that when people look back on the run of Howard Bihar, they say of you in terms of your impact? So I, uh, you know, I plagiarized the Starbucks BHAG, which was to be one of the most well-known and respected organizations in the world, known for nurturing and inspiring the human spirit. And so my mission in life is to live my life every day, nurturing and inspiring the human spirit with beginning with myself first and then for others. So I want my legacy to be that Howard nurtured and inspired my spirit. If it's just one person that comes and tells me that, that's enough. Howard, you have nurtured and inspired my spirit. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's it for the show this week. Howard Bihar, I am. I will never be able to repay you. And please don't ever send me a bill, okay? Because it would be way more. I mean, we'd have to mortgage the farm and then some. Upcoming shows, by the way, just so you all know, um, next week, uh, I think it's next week, Mark Sanborn joins me. Mark is a good buddy of mine. He wrote The Fred Factor. Howard, uh, Fred was a postman who had a servant's heart and exceeded every expectation Mark Sanborn ever had about what a postman would do to take care of his customer. Um, so uh, we'll talk about that. Carl Mecklenburg is a ring of famer for the Denver Broncos. He's written a leadership book about servant leadership for high school students, wow. uh, which I think is just a kind of a fun thing, how to become servant-minded when you're in high school. So kind of go into Howard's uh, point. Chester Elton, who I'm sure How Howard knows, written all these incredible books, The Carrot Principle, All In, The Best Team, and his 
leading with gratitude book, which is just crazy about the importance of making sure we 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 generate gratitude. It's just good stuff. Uh, so we got lots of great people uh, ahead. Uh, and I, again, am grateful just to reiterate that Howard is in uh, the new book that I have got coming out. It'll be out in December called Stronger Through Adversity. You can find out more about that at strongerthroughadversity.com. Otherwise, please go to howardbihar.com. It'll be in the show notes, howardbihar.com. And this will be on replay. If you are kind enough to tell someone about this or repost this in the social media world so more people can get the love of Howard on them, um, I will give you a copy of Leading the Starbucks Way just free of charge. Just wow. repost it to somebody. And what we'll do is we'll send it to you. you got to let us know because we're not out there tracking everybody who forwards it. So just send it to somebody, say, please watch this or repost it on your feed. And then when you do, let us know and give us your address and we'll send you a copy of Leading the Starbucks Way. That's it for the show this week. Thank you all for being a part of it. Share it with somebody. And more importantly, think about this as saying yes to the people around you.